Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back, everybody. The Bauer and Rose Show has returned. We took a a couple of days off. I was at the uh, Munich uh, Security Conference in Germany where all of Gary's globalist, elitist Euro fans congregated to discuss uh, the state of global affairs. I think the uh, MSC, the Munich Security Conference, should be renamed the Munich Insecurity Conference. That having been said, welcome to the show. You can catch us wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Uh, We're also on our favorite radio station, Sirius XM, The Patriot, Channel 125. And we're hosted online by our good friends at JustTheNews.com. Gary, I thought of you a great deal uh, over the past (laughs) several days here in in, uh, Germany at the uh, Munich Security Conference, because unlike Davos and, you know, the the endless uh, pretense of globalism and how to speak to our betters, there were a few iconoclastic moments where people like J.D. Vance and Mike Pompeo, who would never be allowed to speak at Davos, spoke, and they were sensational in the sense that um, and we're going to get into the Ukraine thing here because I think it's important. I saw J.D. Vance, or at least some of the remarks. Right. I thought Pompeo, well, J.D. was great, but Pompeo was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, to the point where he'd be a great running mate. I mean, I don't know what political value it would bring in terms of the election, but if you're talking about a guy that's ready to take over tomorrow, it's Mike Pompeo. His point was... And he's pro-Ukraine like I am, like I know you are. You're a huge Ukraine fan. Um, uh, His point was that it's it's 60 billion or nothing. And if it isn't 60 billion, then Ukraine has no chance. If it's 59 billion, if it's 61, it's too much. But what does the 60 billion get us? Does it get us victory? How long does it last? What's its purpose? How do you break it out? And the entire debate, the entire discussion, the narrative that has consumed Washington and Europe for the past six months, blaming Republicans for the quote-unquote failure to pass the $60 billion, there's no negotiating room on the part of the administration. Not only do they not tell us what it will buy Ukraine and us, they have indicated no interest in any negotiation over even a marginal reduction in the number. And it's not covered in the media. It's not portrayed that way. It's the it's that Republicans who refuse to accede to the first and only demand the Democrats ever made is 
now blamed for the failures of, uh, of uh, uh, Ukraine policy? Well, there's so much to, to comment on there, Tom. Um, you know, obviously you're, you're right, but a little bit of the history here. You know, Biden was incredibly weak in speaking to Russia about what they can and can't do as, as it relates to Ukraine. Remember, what wasn't it uh, fairly early on? He, he said, well, if they somebody said, well, if they go in, I mean, is that automatically we're going to we're going to, you know, arm Ukraine and fight back. And he goes, well, it, it depends on how far they go in. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, that was going on for for months. And Putin uh, read the tea leaves. And uh, now we're in this mess. Look, Tom, I I have no reason to believe that Joe Biden gives a fig about what happens in Ukraine. I think just like he sees uh, student loan debt cancellation, um, the new border restrictions he's going to announce at the State of the Union address, I think he sees Ukraine at this point as merely a way to uh, blow up the Republican Party, make it more likely he gets reelected, keep the neocons, a lot of the neocons, you know, supporting him, um, all the rest. He's he's never shown any affinity for uh, America being a force in the world. And as as we've quoted many times, uh, you know, I forget who the guy was who said Biden's been wrong about Every foreign Robert policy Gates, question, his former, yeah, uh, his for, former for defense years secretary, or whatever, <clears throat> and, and it, you know, and, and the, the, the arguments that you and I have had, um, you know, just to go back a second, are we? Is it the view of those that want to do the sixty billion? Is their view that uh, that Ukraine, as long as we give them money and weapons? can defeat Russia, a nation many times their size. Um, I'm told that right now uh, the average age of a Ukrainian soldier is 42 because young Ukrainians are hightailing it out of there as fast as they can. Uh, So to me, yeah, this is a – so somehow – through our proxy of Ukraine, we're going to defeat Russia and Putin. I, I, I don't but that's, understand but that. that. But that's the point. They've never articulated what that view of victory or peace looks like. What does that's Pompeo's point? What's the 60 bill? What does it buy us? Does it buy us victory? If it buys us victory, how do you define that? How do you define the transition from victory to peace? And is is fifty nine billion inadequate? Is forty two billion inadequate? Why the utter insistence on sixty? And it's not just the Democrats, Gary. It's Mitch McConnell and John Thune and John Cornyn who are holding to that number as though it is some kind of holy grail of quote unquote victory when victory is never defined. You know, there was one thing that that. Um, really struck me about this uh, uh, conference 
Oh, Munich Security Conference, which I was talking to Zach Bauer. You may know Zach, uh, a young, extremely uh, a talented and capable political operative who used to work for, still does, Vice President Pence. We went to the Munich... I, uh, I know him well and uh, consider him uh, uh, a, a hero in our household. Uh, Even though you misspelled his name in a Washington oh, Post that's Am I going to get this same crap again? That, uh, it's because somebody in my office... Uh, blaming the staffer, blaming, blaming the staffer for Gary's inability to properly spell his own son's name. We had gone to uh, the Munich Security Conference three times. The vice president was there. And so this was my fourth MSC. But as I was telling Zach, it was my first MSC, because when you travel with a White House, you don't do anything. You don't. It's not a real trip. You're cocooned in two rooms and you're focused on the principal and getting in and out. Uh, but this is truly uh, was an extraordinary experience for me because it vindicated the reaction, vindicated everything Donald Trump said last week. Remember his comment, or I guess it was two weeks ago, his comment that um, a NATO member that uh, isn't an effective participating part of the alliance he doesn't really care what happens to them. Now, you understood what he meant immediately. I understood what he meant immediately. But everything at the Munich Security Conference vindicated his statement because they are now hell-bent to leather focused on dramatically ramping up their own... Um, uh, yes, their own yeah. Euro security uh, infrastructure. And these frantic debates about how to uh, rapidly improve supply chain processing, enhancing uh, uh, military infrastructure capabilities inside uh, NATO countries in Europe. Uh, I just thought, it, and of course, nobody had the, the presence of mind to congratulate President Trump. I heard our, well, friends, I heard our friend Steve Bannon, I don't know, a couple of days ago, say, look, uh, NATO started as a U.S. effort to protect Western Europe from a conventional Soviet invasion. Europe was flat on its back. None of those countries were able to, to feed their own people, let alone, um, you know, provide for their uh, collective defense. But over the, coast, over the past 75 years, the EU has become... Uh, the second largest economy in the world. It's bigger than ours, but it's it's 750 million people. Um, and they're still acting as though they're incapable of providing for their own defense. If an alliance is not an alliance, but rather a protectorate, then why are we continuing to act as though our responsibility supersedes their own responsibility in in the area of collective defense. Well, you know, Tom, that all that that proves is that whether it's individually at the domestic level or on the world stage, welfare does not help a person uh, become independent and take care of themselves. Welfare does the exact opposite. And, uh, you know, we complain at the, at the domestic level that uh Poverty got worse and grew and the family broke up precisely when the federal government declared war on poverty and began giving checks mostly to women 
uh, that allowed them to not have to put up with a guy in the house that they didn't uh, particularly enjoy being around. And and, uh, they didn't have to worry about taking care of their kids because this check would arrive in the mail every week. And then we were shocked that uh, marriage in inner city communities plummeted in the years after the war on poverty. Uh, Uncle Sam became dad and uh, husband. Uh, so now on the international scene, why would it be any different? I mean, you had you have a bunch of European countries uh, that are under constant pressure from their own populations. Sadly, this happens in, in the free world. I'm not completely sure why. But but populations that want more and more services. They want the government to guarantee their health care. They want the government to take care of their education. They want the government to do all these things. And, and governments learn that unlike the United States, they can't just willy-nilly print money year after year after year. So they had to make sacrifices somewhere. What did they sacrifice? The place that was so easy to sacrifice. They sacrificed on their own defense spending because Uncle Sucker, I mean, Uncle Sam <laughs> would still be there to save their sorry arses when the the going got tough. And in the, in the meantime, when all this was happening, we had to put up with their constant harping every time we tried to do something in Europe to make it more likely we could stop the Soviet Union. You're right. If it ever You're absolutely right. Isn't it, doesn't it strike you as interesting or peculiar that the very people who are now so purportedly terrified about us getting dragged into a Middle East war by Israel um, seem to demonstrate none of those fears about funding a war against the world's largest nuclear power. Uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky uh, at Munich was where I saw him, gave a nice speech. He runs a country that's and I'm pro-Ukraine, I'm pro-Zelensky, far more authoritarian, not to mention corrupt, than uh, Israel, uh, yet it's treated as this sainted democracy um, uh, that we are obligated to defend at whatever cost. The president was presented with an opportunity to sign... An Israel-only aid bill passed out of the House, thanks to uh, our friend Speaker Johnson, um, and a majority in the Senate that would have voted for it. But the president says he would veto a standalone Israel bill. Does anyone think, does Gary Bauer think the president would veto a standalone Ukraine bill? No, no. Great point, Tom. Uh yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right. And of course, with Israel, we have uh, an alliance that goes all the way back uh, to the beginning of the modern nation of Israel, spanning decades and decades. We've worked together on so many different things. The American people have, over the years, had a, a distinctive love for the uh, for Israel and the Israeli people. Uh, you, you know, they they help us out on security questions, intelligence gathering. Uh, we, we represent Western civilization. Uh, we're, we're in in it through thick and thin. Ukraine does not have any formal alliance with the United States. Most people have, I bet, very little idea of where it's even located other than it abuts uh, Russia. Uh, but there is no question that 
in my mind, that a good bit of our foreign policy establishment, a good bit of our diplomatic establishment, uh, I don't know how much of our Defense Department is much more comfortable going to the mat for Ukraine than it is going to the mat for Israel. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Here's another one. What about a standalone, this this massive package, this $100 billion uh, supplemental, $60 billion for Ukraine, $14 billion for Israel, which actually isn't $14 billion. It's more like nine, which is still good and desperately needed. Um, and it also has $10 billion in humanitarian relief for Gaza. Do you think that uh, the president would veto a standalone bill for the humanitarian relief of Gaza? I don't think so. I don't, I don't either, Tom. And, and what you just said is exactly why not only is the Trump view of foreign policy gaining traction, but that, and I, I don't see it as isolationism. That's how they try to, the, you know, picture it, but, but the, the, the fact that in this bill, we would be giving that kind of money to Gaza puts guys like Speaker Johnson and all sorts of Republicans in the House in a really desperate and dangerous situation. Because if they are browbeaten and uh, pummeled enough that they feel like they've got to vote for this thing because if they don't, they're going to get blamed if Ukraine falls. Uh, they will later get pummeled when it becomes widely known to the American people that they just voted for aid for Gaza. Oh, I, I think that's incredibly well said. The Washington Post, your favorite paper yesterday, I'm sure you saw it. I hope you didn't see it after having eaten a large meal. This 1,500-word story um, about how Egypt and Jordan and Qatar and Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Palestinian representatives together, uh, called together by the United States, were, I'm now quoting, rushing to complete a detailed, comprehensive plan for long-term peace between Israel and the Palestinians, including a firm timeline for the establishment of a Palestinian state that could be announced as early as next week. Did you notice in there, Gary, uh, that the one party, the one party that is expected to sign its own death warrant wasn't included in these negotiations? It's, it's you murder 1,200 Jews in the worst slaughter since the Holocaust and get a state? Yeah. I, I, Biden is in serious talks now to force upon Israel the biggest reward of all, a Palestinian state, because of 10-7. Yeah, no, I did. Unfortunately, Tom, I did see the story, and I had already had breakfast. <laughs> and seeing breakfast the second time, it didn't look nearly as appetizing as, I, as it looked when I, when I was eating it. Uh, Tom, just a little historical reminder here that George W. Bush, who... You, you know, whatever you say, whatever one thinks about the Bush dynasty, it, it defined Republicanism for decades. Yeah, it did. I mean, when you thought Republican, you think the Bushes and, you know, conservatives were in many uh, battles alongside the Bush 
uh, apparatus, and sometimes conservatives were battling Bush because we he disappointed us or whatever. But nobody can doubt that George W. Bush and and his entourage represented what Republican foreign policy had looked like for uh, you know for many many decades. George W. Bush was preparing to give a major speech calling for a Palestinian state when 9-11 happened. He, he was just a couple weeks away from giving that speech. And 9-11 happened and dang it all, they missed their chance for their historic moment. So they pulled back on it. And then they did all the things we did. Most of it you and I supported. Uh, some of it we should have questioned more carefully because it's coming back now in big, horrible ways to haunt us. But um, once we got after the bad guys uh, and, you know, there were some victories here and there and people were feeling good, George W. Bush wanted to revisit his idea of a Palestinian state. So it was always hanging out around there. Groups like Christians United for Israel and, uh, and others had to regularly jump into the breach and say, not on your life, and inundate the White House with calls and letters and so forth. So even in the aftermath of an attack on us, let alone in the aftermath of a murderous attack on uh, Israel, the foreign policy elites, the political elites of America are in love with ideas like, well— just between us, we all know the Israelis, you know, they're not fair. Uh, you know, they can't they, they can't just exist in the middle of all that Muslim world and not be given up things. And they just keep coming back to it, coming back to it and coming back to it. And the whole first there was a Palestinian state and that Palestinian state it's called di- Gaza. died <laughs> on the 7th of October when it attempted to destroy the state of Israel and uh, um, uh, not Yahya Sinwar, uh, Khaled Mashal, who's the head of uh, Hamas in Qatar, worth reportedly $5 billion, said in an interview last week with Al Manar, a Lebanese uh, based uh, television network, that uh, he would oppose a two state solution. Um, but if they got a state, of any size, he would take it as a prelude, obviously, to the complete destruction of Israel. This is what he said. But he said, if something like that were to happen, then October 7th would be declared and recognized as Palestinian Independence Day. Oh, my gosh. And so so Uh. this is who we're... And then you have the PA, the Palestinian Authority, which to this date has only applauded 10-7. They've never condemned it. It's it's 1938 with Edward Delatier and Neville Chamberlain and Mussolini negotiating with Hitler to destroy Czechoslovakia. It's it's well, you know, Tom, all these uh, all these uh, Democrats and progressives and uh, and uh, others, uh, ha- other hanger ons that all of a sudden want to prance around acting like they're hawks and uh 
calling anybody that doesn't endorse their constant pouring of money uh, into Ukraine as uh, appeasers and uh, all you're doing is helping Putin and all the rest of it are totally willing and anxious to sacrifice Israel on the altar of appeasement. Uh, what kind of message is that going to send throughout the Arab Muslim world and to Putin and to Xi and to North Korea? If America's number one ally can be thrown under the bus, what message does it send to Japan and Australia, New Zealand, the Philippines, etc.? So this this whole thing is a charade. Now, not to get too far off the, the track here, I, I want to bring up again, Tom, the the inexplicable fact that we've got two uh, hot wars going on. Uh, one in Ukraine, it's been going on for a while now. Two years um, today. I, I think that the, the estimates are hundreds of thousands of people have been killed and it involves a nuclear power. And we've got a war that's been going on in the Middle East between Hamas and its allies and, and uh, Israel in which and, and deaths are terrible. But I don't know what the total is, but it's a lot less than hundreds of thousands. It's been going on for four or five months. And the only peace movement I see in Western Europe or in the United States is a peace movement trying to get Israel to stop shooting. There still isn't a peace movement in Europe or the United States trying to get peace between Ukraine and Russia. You know, Hamas may be losing the war in Gaza. Thank God they are. Um, but it sure seems to be winning the war in Michigan. They've taken Joe Biden hostage, the administration hostage. Only Joe Biden doesn't seem to be mind doesn't seem to mind being a hostage. Rashida Tlaib, the congresswoman from Dearbornistan, Michigan, was the only member of Congress, the only one not to condemn Hamas's rapes, dismemberments, decapitations of Jewish women, now says she wants to create a voting block to stop Israel's campaign to destroy Hamas. This has been very lightly uh, covered in our media, uh, yet there are Folks that you and I like and appreciate and respect who say that uh, it's these kind of statements and these kind of actions that mark the end of the squad. I'm not so optimistic about that at all. Are you? No, no, I'm not. I'm not optimistic of that. I if the if the squad, you know, the reason it was called the squad is that it represented a small group of people uh, compared to the larger group that believed in many of the same things, but wasn't willing to fight as as aggressively for them. If the squad goes away, it will be because its views have become mainstreamed in one of the two major parties of the United States. And I think that's exactly what's happening. Uh, we, I mean, we know from all the research, all the polling, that the rising generation uh, of young uh, progressive Democrats is much closer in its views to the squad than they are to the uh, mansions and Bidens and uh, uh, whoever of the Democrat Party. So, I mean, the, the, to me, this is if I were Israel, this is what would scare me to death, that they're, they're going to face an existential threat every time there's a U.S. presidential election. That's why the consensus opinion in Israel <clears throat> from left and right, uh, particularly in their military establishment, is that they must at all costs, develop 
if not a a capable domestic military infrastructure capable of producing uh, ammunitions and implements of warfare that they're now totally dependent upon the United States for, finding an alternate supply chain uh, to do that. I had two other things I wanted to hit you with. Uh, can we talk about Tucker? Yes. I'm going to do something that, that sounds strange, but I think there's some logic behind it. Um. Tucker's been in sitting down. I would sit down. No, Tucker's (laughs) been in Russia for about a week. He had a two hour and 20 minute interview with Putin. Um, I was not overwhelmed with the interview. I thought Putin filibustered, which was his right. When you uh, interview a global leader, you're there not to impress upon him your views, but to listen to his. I didn't have a problem with the Tucker interview. Some of the videos that he subsequently released on his trip there are, to say the least, a little a little bizarre, a little um, uh, uh, reminiscent of some of the things we saw in the 1930s. But let me defend Tucker here for a minute um, and take 90 seconds and and get your (laughs) and and get your response these these bizarre videos about you know how beautiful the Moscow subway is uh, Moscow supermarkets filled with food of course we all know that tens of thousands of slaves died building the Moscow subway but here's the thing Um, there's a long list of folks like Tucker who've been seduced by the allure of alternatives to the failures and the decadence of our own societies. They're called useful idiots, George Bernard Shaw, but they're anything but idiots. Tucker certainly is anything but an idiot. George Bernard Shaw, you know, this brilliant Irish playwright in the 1930s who was so good at analyzing British decadence, British hypocrisy, came back from the Soviet Union to say, I've seen the future and it works, his famous line. He made a total hash of propaganda, which begs the question, um, as I think it does for Tucker now, how somebody so brilliant could be, and principled, could be so easily seduced. And here's my answer. Um, And the answer is the great disappointment of our democracy, like the Great Depression with George Bernard Shaw to our social societal collapse with Tucker, our civilization, Gary, is in deep, deep trouble. Our political system is incapable of, of fixing anything. And while the woke left um, sees all of this, this front for evil and seeks to uh, complete the job for our undoing and we're all white supremacists and racists. I think there might be a little woke rightism in folks like Tucker who look around the world for examples that might save us. You know, the woke left has systemic racism and American evil that animates everything about it and the woke right. I mean, I, I use the term woke right. It's stolen from Constantine Kissin, who's this former Russian, who's a, a brilliant, you might have seen him, I don't know, on, on YouTube, he's, he's quite brilliant. Um, but we look and we see the absolute collapse of civil liberties, um, globalism that's taken our jobs, mass deliberate immigration, um, 
anti-family, pro-trans ideologies that are threatening to turn skeptics, skeptics who are healthy into cynics, which aren't. And I just, uh, it might be hard to blame him, to, to blame these folks. Many of these uh, issues that, that Tucker refers to are totally legitimate. The biggest problem of all, I mean, despite the support of the overwhelming majority of our population, all attempts to address the very real problems um, are failing. The 2016 election, Donald Trump's election, this desperate cry to address these problems um, and our elites and the establishment did everything within their power to negate his election, um, to, to prevent him from closing our border. Uh, but rather than waking up, our elites did everything they could to prevent him um, from succeeding and they label us all white supremacists in the process and they're, and they're doing it again absolutely they're, and they're, they're keeping him off the ballot bankrupting him imprisoning him for life um and to add insult to injury they replaced donald trump with his stage five dementia patient um and a lot of folks are starting to ask you know what good is democracy if we can't fix anything if the people's will is rejected by the very people they vote for um, I just wonder, uh, you know, if 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 more and more people come to the conclusion that democracy means family collapse, social breakdown, the end of citizenship, mass encouraged, unfettered illegal immigration, uh, turning our schools into indoctrinated cesspools of filth. Is it time to look at other alternatives? And I wonder whether folks like Tucker can be blamed for asking these questions, Man, even even though he's said. wrong about a lot of the stuff with Russia. But that's he's wrong a different... about the subway. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I would have said that, Tom. That was that was well put. Uh, you know, there's that. What's that saying? You know, don't don't interfere when your enemy is uh, is hurting himself. I didn't want to interfere when my <laughs> uh, colleague here is. Uh, <clears throat> Finally saying the things I've been saying for the last 15 years to you. Uh, look, the um, Tucker's the, not the problem. He's the symptom of the problem. Right. Just, the, just, the, right. The, the left keeps saying that democracy is on the ballot this November. Western civilization is what's on the ballot this November, because if we go another four years with these uh, feckless, uh, I, I can't say most of the things I would want to say, uh, people running the country. Uh, we're, we're headed. We won't be headed to a cliff. We will be in the middle of the fall off of the cliff. More and more Americans still love America, but they increasingly despise the people who govern them, the people who tell them what the good movies are. They must watch the people that teach their children, the people that uh, hold forth every Sunday on the talk shows talking about the values uh all these uh Neanderthals out there you know what's wrong with these people you know all the names that are thrown a government official saying he's out of Walmart uh, down in Virginia and he can smell the Trump voter voters the list goes on and on and so you have got millions of people who as I said love America, 
but they despise the people that are doing these things to our country and to them and to everything they hold dear. And there, there's only two there's only two possibilities here, Tom. Either those people will eventually get satisfaction by being able to elect people that will fight for them, or they will keep watching what they believe is a fixed system preventing from that happening. And if that's what they see, they will have then two other choices. Do they just be good sheeple and do the best they can to save their own family? Or do they do what freedom-loving Americans have done from the very beginning, which is literally fight back? Look, unless and until our elites, our leaders, start listening to the people that they're supposed to represent, the problems are only going to get worse, and so are the symptoms. There was a, uh, you might have seen this, John Stewart, unfortunately, is back on the air. He responded, this is where I'm getting all this, because I ha- had the unfortunate, unfortunate uh, uh, experience of having to watch it. John Stewart's response to the Tucker walkthrough of Moscow in the Goom Department store in the supermarket and the, and the, and the subway was, and I, this is almost a direct quote, um, urine-caked subway walls are the cost of freedom. That was his response to... Tucker's, you know, magical walk through the um, the did, Moscow did, subway. Literally, are you are you uh, exaggerating? Or did, that is literally. I mean, he used the urine walled subway. I don't remember uh-huh. if it was yeah. Uh, yeah. the urine cake. Look, the truth is, our subways didn't used to be urine caked. No, right. Our right. streets used to be safe. Our schools didn't used to be cesspools of filth and perversion. We didn't enforce illiteracy and ignorance on our kids. We used to put criminals in jail. Were we really less free five years ago or ten years ago than we are today? It just goes to show liberals and leftists have a very different definition of freedom than you and I do. Because what they call freedom, you and I might regard, definitely do regard, is unfreedom. The, f- the freedom of a bum to take a leak in a subway takes away my freedom to walk into a subway without being overwhelmed by the stench of urine. The freedom for a criminal to prowl the streets takes away my freedom to walk the streets safely. Yep. Well, Tom, I mean, look, the... The uh, all these things, um, uh, crime infested, uh, urine soaked subways, uh, <laughs> uh, men dressed up like women reading books to six year olds, uh, uh a, a man in a dress being appointed to head a nuclear program at the Department of Energy, uh, under Biden, um, who's the, who's, uh, uh, who's a kleptomaniac steals women's clothing. Right, right. Um, the um, the labeling of people who love America and love God, Christian nationalists, and having them compared to Nazis. These aren't the price of freedom. This is what happens when a society is being ripped out of the rich soil of Judeo-Christian civilization. I, there was a piece. It's funny you mentioned Christian nationalism because that was the next on my list. You saw the Politico 
total hit job on our good friend Russ Vogt, who was President Trump's uh, uh, budget director. Uh, he worked for Vice President Pence. He's a wonderful young man. Um, this headline in Politico was that Trump and his allies are, um, are preparing to uh, infuse, quote-unquote, Christian nationalism to the second Trump administration. Um, what was Russ Vogt's crime in this article? Well, that he's an evangelical Christian. Look, I know Russ. I know him well. I think his finest quality is that he's an evangelical Christian. Listen to this quote from the Politico piece on Monday. I, go, I, want, to re, I want you to read it for our, our audience, but I did see it, and you know, I, I had to up my blood pressure medication. Listen to this quote. Christian nationalists in America believe the country was founded as a religious nation and that Christian values should be prioritized through government and public life. Has, as the country has become less religious and more div, uh, diverse, vote has embraced the false idea that Christians are under assault and has spoken of policies he might pursue in response to protect and promote more Judeo-Christian values, period, end quote. False idea that Christians are under assault. Yeah, you know, my, my old group, the Family Research Council, just came out with a, an annual report uh, between 2022 and 2023, the number of churches in America that uh, experience violent <clears throat> attacks on them, uh, people running in, desecrating things, spray painting the churches, in some cases, literally shooting people up in the church literally doubled between 2022 and 2023. Um, I mean, Tom, this is why I, this is why I think even today, the Republican party is so unprepared to deal with the battle because they have so few people that can see the big picture of what is happening. You tell a Republican that the country is becoming uh, less religious and Republican advisors are going to say, we need to come up with new plans about how to appeal to secular people because they don't understand that if America becomes less religious, a conservative oriented party is going to be less likely to get elected. Look, if you think Christian nationalism, whatever the hell that is, is bad, just wait until you see Unchristian nationalism. Wait until you see our our society dominated and animated by something else. Because any society <clears throat> has to be animated by a value or a vision. It can be animated by socialism or communism or Nazism or radical Islamism or se- or sexual licenseism or secularism. Um, and looking at all those alternatives, the Judeo-Christian value system seems pretty good to me. Listen to this next. I know you hate when I do this, but can I read one more sentence from this Politico piece? Is there anything I could <clears throat> say that would stop you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you could say don't. I don't want to. I don't want to hear it. This is the one. Bauer, for folks new to the show, Bauer hates it when I read quotes either from books or from articles or whatever. 
But just don't come in and you know read to me dressed in a dress. <laughs> Listen, That's where I'm drawing the line, Rose. <laughs> Listen to this. This is from the Politico piece that trashes one of the most. Do you know Russ? I mean, he's yeah. a gentle. He's a. He's just. He's a prince of a guy. He's just a prince of a guy. Quote: The documents obtained by Politico do not outline specific Christian nationalist policies, but Vote has promoted a restrictionist immigration agenda saying a person's background doesn't define who can enter the U.S., but rather whether that person has an understanding and acceptance of American values. End quote. He meant my organization, American Values. Isn't that mainstream? That's Christian nationalism. Sign me up. Well, you, you know what? This is this is interesting, Tom. When we're on the <clears> air. <throat> maybe somebody that would be interested in doing this can contact us. Some of these questions ought to be asked of the American uh, people. Do you believe that uh, God's hand was in the founding of America? You know, some of the, and I think we, you and I would probably be both upset with the results, but it was the view of Americans all the way up until last Wednesday. You mean, dis- I mean you mean disappointed? You mean you, know, di- you mean disappointed with the results? Yeah. What did I right. say? Uh, upset, meaning okay. Yeah. Meaning the number would be far lower than you or I would right. like it to be. Got yes. It. And, and there would be no other time in history other than recent years that we would be disappointed in the results, because up until recent years, uh, that's what that's that's what people thought. It's why when they heard the news of Pearl Harbor, they cried and then they ran to the recruiting stations. I mean, come on, folks. This if you have a country that doesn't have massive numbers of its population that has some sort of faith-based core, I would argue very specifically, it, in my view, it should be from the Judeo-Christian tradition because not all faith-based, faith-based views around the world could produce a civilization in a country like the one that we have. And they've also have to have a love for our country based on seeing their country doing good and decent things and standing for good and decent things. And we're losing both of those things. Now, I don't want to get too complicated here, Tom, but at least part of this happens because of our role of, as what Pat Buchanan called an empire. The, the more we bought into the idea that it was up to us uh, to take care of everybody, to send our sons off to fight wars on behalf of everybody, while still absor- uh, observing uh, some written code that the globalists want about how hard we can fight and what we can say the reason is we're fighting. Um, and then these international organizations that we want to thrive have all gone woke. So they go after countries like Hungary and Poland and uh, uh, I'm sure soon Argentina, Israel, Israel and try to browbeat them in uh, to throwing overboard everything that Judeo-Christian civilization believes in. Flying the the trans flag, the LGBT flag over our embassies during the entirety of LGBT month 
except, interestingly enough, in Muslim countries, there was an event, again, I, I was out of the country, um, that I don't know what kind of attention it got here. The Department of Justice, the DOJ, is suing, get a load of this, suing the state of Tennessee for enforcing its aggravated prostitution law, which made it a crime for prostitutes to knowingly spread HIV. The argument was it's illegal for the state to impose harsher criminal penalties on sex workers who have HIV because that would violate the American with Disability Act. So hookers are now oppressed too, and hookers are a special category to be protected along with other poor oppressed minorities, according to Joe Biden's Department of Justice. So, so Tom, I mean, look. <laughs> how, do you, how do you react to that other than laughing? Well, except it's, it's so dang serious in that they felt like they were in a powerful enough position that they could do this, just like they 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 have uh, proposed rules from the administration that tells public schools if you won't let a teenage boy go into the girls' locker room, uh, we have the right to withhold federal funds from your school that's used to buy breakfast and lunch for the needy students that attend your school. In any normal world, there would be 58 levels of people saying to whoever proposed that, are you crazy? We're going to tell poor people we're going to starve them unless their boys can or their girls can go to a school in which boys are allowed to go into the girls' locker room. I mean, Tom, this stuff is happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. This is what they do. When they get power, they take the ball as far down the road as they possibly can. Uh, did this story get much attention? I no. don't even know. I don't even know how I. So there's really very little pushback. The Department of Justice, and of course, we haven't even gotten into any of the imploding uh, fake cases against uh, President Trump. Um. But they are hell-bent, hell-bent to get a conviction on any of these phony charges uh, before the election because all the opinion polls say, and I wonder how true that will be subsequently if we get any fair coverage of these trials, that any conviction would sway all the positive polling that now um, that now shows President Trump with a very comfortable, almost decisive lead in every battleground state and even in national head-to-head matchups, that that would all go away with a conviction. So you see all these efforts either to bankrupt him with the most outrageous civil fine and penalty in American history for a civil action, not a crime, in which no one was defrauded, no one was cheated, no one lost money, um, uh, and the destruction of the uh, of the Atlanta case, and all the shenanigans going on with Jack Smith's federal case in Washington. 
the business about the American people need to see, need to hear this now. A speedy trial uh, guarantees are, are and were written by our founders to protect not the government's right to prosecute, but to protect the defendant's right to defend himself. Yeah, well, uh, Tom, I, I don't, I don't know what will happen after conviction. I don't know if that's the reason that Nikki Haley is staying in the race. That if she's the candidate with the most delegates after Trump, she's the natural person. Would she she's be the crazy. natural? Would she, I mean that would be? The, I thought about that yesterday. If God forbid something were to happen to Trump, health care, you know, a, a health issue, God forbid, or one of these other uh, travesties, she'd be the nominee. That. Well, that I, that could be her calculation. I, Tom, I think she's um, one of the la- last Republicans that, that does not understand that it's a different Republican Party. Romney finally gets it, I think. Um, some of the others, you know, the obvious names. I don't think she she fully gets it yet. Um, but there could be another reason, and in some ways, it's even more disturbing that. Uh, she she has seen polling that, you know, and she cites it, that 75 percent of the country does not want to race between uh, Trump and Biden. So she may very well think that if both parties actually end up nominating Trump and Biden, that she's the natural nominee of the third way uh, effort and that she would be able to win the presidency in a three way race. You know, it's it's interesting you mentioned that I had in Munich. Uh, last Friday evening, a lovely, absolutely lovely evening with one of the most decent, charming, principled, lovely uh, uh, political figures of our time, Joe Lieberman, your friend Joe Lieberman, who, by the way, sends his, quote, warmest personal regards. Oh, well, that's nice. Thank um, you. And, and he's, he's um, you and I don't agree with him on most things, I would imagine, domestically, when it comes to Israel and things like that, we're totally in sync. But, of course, Senator Lieberman is behind this this third way movement. Maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but we did discuss what you've just discussed. And the reaction was, I don't want to put words in the senator's mouth. Uh, he wouldn't be able to uh, defame or... Um, uh, condemn anyone if he tried he's too decent uh he wasn't enamored with that prospect well that's that is the best news i've heard <laughs> i've heard yet and it comes right as we're uh, looks like we're heading toward the finish line here Tom. <laughs> no. uh, whether we like it or not um yeah i i don't know you, you know it looks like the candidacy of robert kennedy doesn't change things much one way or the other if it does it's a little bit to trump's advantage it seems to suggest and that's changed because i would have thought a month six yeah. weeks ago he would have taken more from trump than he did from biden but you think that's different i, I think it is yeah and uh and then you've got the the, the real french candidates a couple of them but they're going to be on the ballot uh in a, in a number of states and they could take one and a half percent that, you know, that can mean everything. But if you if you then throw in a serious um, additional candidate by this effort that Manchin's involved in, 
for, first of all, you get a, you get a race where you, you're likely to have a president with less than 40 percent of the right. Vote. Last time we that, had that's got its own problem. Well, last time we had a, pre, a president elected with less than 40 percent of the vote, his name was Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. How'd that work out? Well, it depends on where you're from. Right. Yeah. But the 600,000 bodies between the two events, I think we could all agree, was not really a very nice thing. No, no. Although he was a he was a pretty good president. Not as good, apparently, as the 154 political scientists who just released their study about America's best and worst presidents. Abraham Lincoln came in fourth. FDR came in first. George Washington came in third. Ronald Reagan came in 18th. And Joe Biden came in 14th. And Donald Trump, Trump, of course, dead last. Yeah, Trump Trump came in prison. Right. (laughs) By the way, when we're over time, so we got to run. 154 political scientists. Guess how many of those were Republicans? Uh, Let's see. It was 154. 155 of them were not Republicans. All of them were not Republicans. And there was another guy in there that was not a Republican. There were there were nine Republicans out of 154. Nine. And they were probably all, you know. Uh, yeah, they were probably all Liz Cheney. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Anyway, we are out of time. Have a terrific weekend. May God bless and uh keep you keep his countenance upon you have a great blessed weekend we will talk to you next week thanks for joining us on the bauer and rose show right here on sirius xm the patriot channel 125 look around you can find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.